Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode number 155. My guest in this episode is a good friend and someone who introduced me and was one of my guiding lights on social media, especially Twitter. And she is one of the guiding lights in our profession of medicine on a really interesting corner of medicine. Renee DeVersdal is joining me. She is an associate professor of medicine at Oregon Health and Science University. She's an academic hospitalist in that role. She is the director of the OHSU Point of Care Ultrasound Program, and that's what we're going to be jumping into today. And she is the director of their General Medicine Ultrasound Fellowship. This might sound like we're getting really specific and really granular. I think that what we're actually doing, and the reason why I wanted Renee here, is we are looking out over a really broad vista of what the future of healthcare is going to look like. And this topic of what is called point of care ultrasound, basically putting an ultrasound probe into the hands of clinicians, physicians, and APPs at the point of care is going to dramatically change the way we do our work. There is no better expert to talk about this than Renee, and it's going to be a lot of fun to speak with her. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Before we get to the episode, I just want to remind everybody, the first Explore the Space live show is just a couple of days away. There are links in the show notes. We're going to be in San Francisco on October 18th, collaborating with the wonderful Emily Silverman from the Nocturnus podcast. It's going to be a great night. There are still a few tickets left. We are heading towards a sellout, which is really exciting. If you're going to be in the Bay Area, please join us. If you're going to be at the UCSF update in the management of the hospitalized patient conference, please come and check us out. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will just be an Uber ride away. You can find me anytime on social media at ETS show on Twitter at explore the space show on Instagram. You can email me mark at explore the space show.com. The whole archive of explore the space is at www.explore the space show. 155 episodes. It's evergreen content. If this is your first time listening, please look around. You're going to find names and topics that will resonate. I promise you. If you are enjoying what you hear, please do take the opportunity to uh, leave us a rating and to review. It really helps us out. And definitely subscribe. Explore the spaces on all of the major podcast platforms and we crank out content. So we will definitely keep your podcast player full. Speaking of keeping things moving, keeping things full, having a full plate, Renee DeVerzel does a lot of things, but she is one of our nation's experts at this topic of point of care ultrasound. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to this. Without further ado, Renee DeVerzel. Renee, how are you? I'm great. Thanks. It's um, an honor. I love listening to your podcast. I told you about my commute. Yep. So your podcast makes my commute so much better. So it's um, an honor and a pleasure to have you here and be on with you. This is a lot of fun because we are doing this one in person and I'm in your home turf. We are in the sim lab at the Oregon Health and Science University building. It's unreal. We just did a one hour tour. You showed me all of the things that are happening here, all of the labs. We met the staff. We met a bunch of students who are rotating through here. This is a dynamic and kinetic place. I'll be completely honest. It's not what I expected. I did not expect it to be at this scope and scale at this point. This is really, really impressive. When you're taking someone around and showing them this, what is your sense of the scope and scale of this kind of operation? You know, 
it's hard because I've I've been here and I've seen it grow and come to fruition. So yeah. when I first came back from Boston and joined the faculty, the sim centers were split up. There was one downtown, one up on the hill. And then this Robertson Life Sciences building was created and we slowly moved in and upped the, uh, the ultrasound components of it and then started doing more internal medicine simulation. I mentioned to you our intern intensive week, which is five days of simulation for the internal medicine interns. And there's been all this amazing growth over time. And um, it's just been so amazing to see it grow. And the SimOp staff are phenomenal. There's a simulation center, a surgical simulation center up on the hill. Yeah. And so it's just become such a core part of the educational culture that sometimes we tend to take it for granted. Too. Interesting. I like this yeah. idea of it being a core part of the educational culture. Mm-hmm. And this is the fun of doing this in person when you said that your face totally lit up. Yeah, I'll just yeah. have you know. That was very cool. Now, give me, though, an idea. So I finished medical school in 2003. I finished residency in 2006. So this was not all that long ago. This idea of being able to do ultrasounds as a resident, as a medical student, was pie-in-the-sky stuff. It was not on the radar yet. Going into clinical practice in a major center in San Diego, same thing. We would talk about it. We would see it in the literature. Lots and lots of busy docs where there would be applications. It was not on the docket. Go to conferences, same thing. There might be a pre-course the day before for an hour, but it was how to do your lines better, how to yeah. put in, how to intubate better. It wasn't practical, you know, exam-related stuff. What's changing? Why is now Oregon Health Science University and many other centers around the country saying, this is a point of emphasis. This is not pie in the sky. We're going to put these probes in the hands of really skilled faculty. We're going to put as many students as possible, as many residents as possible, as many interested faculty as possible into this. What, what's changing? So it's a, it's a complicated answer, and I'll try not to bore you in the audience <laughs> too much. But I think if I had to pick one specific thing, it would be technology. Yeah. And uh, you've had Dr. Topol on for amazing podcast episodes before, and he's blogged, tweeted about He talks this. about it, yeah. So the tech has changed such that it's affordable for anyone, That's anyone, really anytime, right? Yeah, so that yeah. that lowered the barrier. It was no longer something the size of a refrigerator that you have to push around an emergency department. It hooks up to your phone or your tablet, and you're ready to rock. University of California, Irvine, their students this year got a white coat, and they got a handheld And they got a handheld I mean, wow. talk about mic drop. I use that in my yeah. University of Pittsburgh Grand Rounds. <laughs> I put up that picture. So yeah. in case you're thinking this is irrelevant... It's not. It's not. It's not at all. So that's the the one piece, the technology and the availability. Some people even say someday our patients will have them in their homes and you'll ultrasound yourself because AI is coming. I mean, that's pretty aspirational right now. We're really just trying to push it out to all clinicians. And if I were to say out of this Sim Center, out of this university, there's one thing that I want. It's for every single learner, whether it's PA, MD, nurse practitioner, any resident, any clinician, anyone that comes here for anything, they should all leave. I know you love the term pluripotent. So they should all be pluripotent ultrasound stem cells. They should know the basics of the machine, how to rule out pericardial, you know, some very basic things. I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty, but this is, this is out there and it's available and no one should ever die of tamponade when we have probes that can be on phones. No one should ever die of that. It just shouldn't happen. So I like the way you frame this for people because it's important and especially on this show where we don't dive into didactic medicine, we, we keep it at a level for people to understand it. What you just said, actually, as much as I am an enthusiast of this, 
that is a reframing for me, this idea of no one should die from these things that we, because of lack of detectability. That we can see. We, we can, can see, see them, them now. And, you know, there are syndromes that we see. Is there fluid around the lung? Is there fluid around the heart? Is there fluid in a joint? Is there, what does the structure and function of this muscle look like, particularly the heart? We do these things, but there's always delays. There's always decrements in quality. This feels like a way to really put, you know, booster rockets on our ability to diagnose, manage, and treat disease, which is why we're here. Yeah. And us, us POCUS, uh, like I call, lovingly call us POCUS nerds, POCUS evangelists, whatever you want to yeah. call us, POCUS standing for I would say POCUS wizards ultrasound. because I like okay. hocus pocus. But, wizards, you know, I love it. Yeah. But we're incredibly passionate about it because we think it's the future. We think, yeah. we think it's really what every, and as an internist, this was, I picked it up, started learning it in residency for procedures and then yeah. in the ED, I yeah. would see them doing it. And, um, you know, I just, I thought if they can do it in the ED, why can't I do it on the wards? Like, it doesn't make sense. There's no difference. Right. Why can't we do it in the primary care clinic? Uh-huh. And so that's where this push has been. And it's been a lot of hard pressing saying, Poc- you know, I am POCUS, hashtag I am POCUS. We created that almost five years ago now. Uh, you know, it's here to stay. Yeah. It, it's not a fad. It's no. not going away. No. The technology is making it available. And it's been really wonderful because our societies have started to embrace it. American College of Physicians, we just released some really incredible modules that are free for everyone. Yeah. Anyone can get on and do these modules for free. You don't have to be a member. You get CME for being a member. Society of Hospital Medicine, they have some excellent, they're working, they have a certification in other things. And so slowly our organizations have come on board, but we really... Um, you know, we're like, this should be for everyone. Yeah, Family yeah. medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, sure. general surgery, everyone, Trauma, all doctors. Absolutely. Yeah. When, well, but you use the term society, and that was in reference to our medical society. Yes. You do this not just in the sim lab, right? You're, you're a hospitalist. You do, you know, multiple weeks of teaching, attending work on the wards. And I know that you bring your probe with you. Let's talk about this from a societal perspective. When people who are seeing their, their medical team, they're meeting their doctor, they're expecting a stethoscope. Right, they might be expecting the things that they're used to seeing on TV or something. When all of a sudden you're breaking out this really small, you know, less than palm-sized ultrasound probe connected to a phone, where you're showing them while you have a probe on their lung. Do you see that? That's the fluid around your lung. Do you see that fluid? That's the fluid around your heart. That's what we need to put a needle into and get out, and that's what's going to make you feel a lot better because you're so short of breath. When you do that with patients, what is the response that you're getting? They. I would say the vast majority yeah. of patients love it. Love if it. their families are around, oh my they're like, gosh. hey, come in and look. Or yeah. they'll say, here, take my cell phone. Take a video of that for me. <laughs> yeah. you know, um, they just It's so exciting to be able to connect with them about this. Wow. And a lot of mid-level providers have fallen in love with POCUS for this reason. Because yeah. they feel like it lets them spend extra time at the bedside. So I mentioned to you our three general internal medicine fellows. Each and every one of them was in practice for over two years before they came back to actually focus on internal medicine ultrasound for a year. So they were in practice and each of them have said, I had no idea what this would do for the joy of practice, being face-to-face with my patient, teaching them about things. And so generally they love it. I don't believe that the stethoscope will go away. I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty about maybe putting your color Doppler box too small and missing regurge. There's, there's a variety of things. I believe, you know, I'm, a, I'm an internist at heart. I still love my stethoscope. I believe it's additive and 
it's it's a whole nother level to the it's not the physical exam because it actually performs much better than the physical yeah, exam. Yeah. So But the um, physical exam and I think that this is important to talk about. There's there's a lot of external pressures and you know people automatically armor up and we can talk about barriers to to you know focus one of them for sure I think is people saying well it's going to do away with the physical exam and I think you said it really well. That's not what this is about at all. I'm not going to stop doing exams. Oh, yeah. It's fun. I like it. I like telling people what I'm hearing and what I'm listening to. This is adjunctive, right? This is additive and this yeah. is really important and it's really helpful. Just a few, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was seeing a patient I was like, "Man, I think this guy has a pericardial effusion." I ordered an echo. We were right, you know, he had a big one and we drained it and he felt much better. It would have been really nice to instead of say to him, you have fluid around your heart, or this is what I think it is, and this is what's going to happen, to say, do you want to see what I think is going on? Let's look together. Bip. Yeah. Yep. You see it? That's fluid. Now, I'm still going to get the formal study, and I'm still going to have the heart doctor who I know, like, and trust come and meet with you to talk about how best to manage this, but we're home. This is why you've been so short of breath for a week. Yep. That is... It, it, it lends a sense, I think, and I'd like your insight on this, of... of empowerment and enrichment to the patient and physician and clinician in our end. The patient and clinician interaction, I think, in a really powerful and meaningful way. I don't think it degrades it. No, absolutely. I think that that was a myth in the beginning. Yeah. Those newfangled kids, you know, those kids in the interwebs, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to yeah. like take their tools and they're going to get in between. But you, you, you're scanning your patient. You're not scanning Epic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're not scanning the, the computer. <laughs> right. So it's not another right. thing that puts something between us. Yeah, it, yeah. it brings us there and we get to educate. And, mm-hmm. and when we talk about being patient-centered and having shared understanding, yeah, yeah, do you so see that great. fluid? That's the fluid. We're looking at the exact same thing. This is what we need to manage. And I would say a lot of patients, so this is anecdote, but yeah. patients feel like I'm a better doctor because of it. They're like, wow, wow. no one's ever done that. You yeah. look for that fluid and no one's done that. Or yeah. they sent me you know, I like to call it the donut of truth. They sent me to the CT scanner. <laughs> we all they, call it the donut of they truth. They did this and that. And so they feel, some people feel yeah. it, you're a better doctor or just more comprehensive. That whole study about if you sit, they think you're there for longer. Yeah. I guarantee if you focus them, they think you're there for yeah. longer. If you don't interrupt for 90 seconds. Yeah. And you can do, some people say they're doing their history while they're scanning. Uh-huh. And so they pick up, you pick up these little things that they don't tell you when you're grilling them for your history and physical. That is so they great. definitely have gotten. You mentioned the CT scanner, and that also makes me think of another potential barrier, but also another opportunity. We know that when we order CT scans, we counsel patients on radiation exposure and that there's possible risk of whether or not the contrast that they get could injure their kidneys or they could have an allergic reaction. We have to go through that process. With this study, it's pretty darn safe. There's no radiation. There's no heat. There's no... Are there inherent risks in doing ultrasound that you have to counsel a patient about before you put the probe on them? Yeah, I think that there's risks to everything we yeah. do in life. So for this, one of the risks would be me over undercalling something. Okay. Me not clinically integrating it correctly, but that happens with everything, right? Yeah, so yeah. The clinical integration, people make errors no matter what. Right. So what I do is I have kind of my spiel and I say, Hey, I want to look for fluid around your lung or in your lung or in your kidney. I'm not a radiologist. I'm not a cardiologist. Yeah. I have a specific question. You know, this is not a, a comprehensive study and I'm going to, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and then we'll make decisions. And if I see something I'm not expecting, or if I see something incidental, I'll, I'll make a note. I'll call your primary care doctor so that they know to follow it up. Right, right. And that makes me feel 
like I'm counseling them appropriately. Uh-huh. And then also, my, I joke with my students if they ever call it an echo, I'm gonna like hit them over the head with a rope because it's not an echo. It's not an I'm echo. not. I'm That's not right. a cardiac sonographer. I'm That's not right. a cardiologist. That's I right. have focused questions. Yeah. So you've brought up, I think, the third major barrier, and that is around the diagnostic quality of this. What you need to do to back it up. Um, and that's where I think pushback from some of our specialists come from. Like the radiologists will say, you're not doing a formal DVT study. That's for us to do. The cardiologists say, you're not doing an echo. That's going to be a tension to resolve. But what I'm also hearing you say is that when you're doing it, there's two skill bundles. One is there's operator skill. And we know the probe is not, an ultrasound is not going to cause harm. It's not going to radiate somebody. So, but there's, there's operator skill in getting the best possible images to make a determination, but there's a second skill bundle, and that is around communicating to the patient what the goals are, what the barriers are, and how we'll move through it together. Because otherwise, they're going to think, oh, this is just another cool piece of tech, mm-hmm. which is really easy to fall into, and it's not. It's got its utilities, but it has its limitations, too. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of, there's different papers on this, but I think of it as the three focus pillars are the image acquisition. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to acquire the images, interpret Mm -hmm. the images, and then clinically integrate them. And to me, the clinical integration includes communication with the patients and communicating with the rest of the healthcare field. Whether that is, I put it in my note, whether that's a procedure note, whether, you know, it goes into my EHR, there's all kinds of minutia in the background yeah. that we will not get into, but you you need to communicate what you've done in some way, shape, yeah. or form, yep. or else it's what we call quote unquote phantom scanning. Uh, so okay. even if you just put a line under your physical, um, you know, point of care ultrasound demonstrated yeah. no hydronephrosis, no blah blah blah, um, you still need to to say what you found because you've presumably made decisions on it. Right. That right. I don't think that this is obstructive kidney failure or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. So. When you're doing this, you're, you're in a major center. You've got a big program that you're the director of. Do you experience pushback from other specialists saying, you're horning in on my territory. You guys don't know what you're doing. These studies are of a poor quality. Do you experience pushback and what sort of pushback do you experience? So I would say earlier on, there may have been some pushback. Um, again, you, how do we know if you're well enough trained? And I should qualify this by saying emergency medicine, they, for years now, they've been the leaders in point of care ultrasound. They have training guidelines, ACGME, or I should say for for our listeners that aren't clinicians, um, people that come from accredited programs, they are considered to be competent because it's built into their residency, or they have it laid out for physicians in practice, a practice-based pathway. But the rest of us don't necessarily have guidelines or written things about what makes you good enough, competent, et cetera. So that was the question is, how do we know you're good enough? Yeah, yeah. And then are you encroaching on our territory? But honestly, over the past several years, what we did is we just made and we just kind of officially were determined a, a, a task force, if you will. Um, we got representatives from the whole hospital. So there's people from emergency medicine, anesthesiology, the ICUs, radiologists, two radiologists, the director of diagnostic imaging who knows all of that archival computer stuff, Uh family medicine, sports medicine, internal medicine, general surgery, pediatrics. So we went to, to stakeholders, the kind of POCUS champions from the whole hospital, and said, come join us. Oh, and of course, a cardiologist. Uh, come <laughs> I was join waiting us. for you to yeah. <laughs> Come join us. Let's right. talk about what best practices are. Because yeah. the thing is, here, 
radiology is not trying to keep us from doing it. They just, they're like, we have some skin in the game too. We want to make try, sure you... Try private practice. Yeah. That's where it's going to okay, be a challenge. Yeah. But they're like, you know, we, we want to know that you're doing it well. That's and right. also in private practice, early on, a lot of times more stuff is found. So mm-hmm. more formal scans get done. Right. So I don't think we're going to be impacting the bottom line. I think soon. that it's smart though, this idea of everyone in the boat. We're all doing yeah. this. Internal medicine, family practice... All of the people that come through, you know, you're the mid-level providers, they're all doing this. Let's do it across all disciplines. Let's elevate the whole profession, right? This is not a horse race. We're trying to elevate the game across the board, right? There's no reason that an orthopedic surgeon who sees a patient in the office couldn't put an ultrasound probe on a joint to see if there's fluid. Or who knows what other things they're going to be able to do as the technology gets better and better. Are they going to be able to assess degree of osteoarthritis, range of motion? You can only imagine. And this is going to be... Rheumatoid arthritis flares looking at at Doppler flow. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I mean, there's crazy. The the super high frequency probes, dermatology, like what are the margins? Yeah. I mean, technology is changing so fast. We were just talking an hour ago about can this be used to diagnose a a muscle syndrome called compartment syndrome, which can be absolutely devastating. It is a purely clinical diagnosis. Right there are some some key pieces that you have to think about, and there's a there's it's something that we don't see much, and you don't want to miss it. If we have a tool to make it easier, if you even think of compartment syndrome to rule in or rule out, we need that tool in the holster for sure. Yeah, one of the things that I really like, um, one of the organizations I I truly enjoy participating in is the American Institute of Ultrasound and Medicine, and Uh I. I love it because it, they have the scientific parts. So there's a bunch of PhDs involved in this. There's different areas, elastography, other things we don't have to go into. But um, it's, it's this kind of like playground, this mixing pot of, of people. They're all really passionate about it. I love a mixing and pot of people. So, love it. Um, yeah, really, it's, it's, it's really excellent. And I think all of us agree that this is the right thing, all of us that participate. And yeah. we're all really trying to convince others that this is something that can really change the way that we interact with patients, treat patients, guide management, and also education. Showing a student, this is why you hit that flank to test for infection of the kidney because you ultrasound and you show them that the kidney sits there and they think it's further up in the abdomen. Totally, totally. There's so many light bulb moments with it as well. Well, I just had one, right? I mean, all of the things (laughs) you just described about... Diagnos- diagnosis and management of rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty magical to get to teach the fun thing that yeah. everyone loves. So. It must cement your understanding of anatomy oh in a way gosh. that is just incredible. I have gotten so much better at anatomy since, yeah. since doing this. Yeah. And things that I never thought I would do, um, you know, uh, OB scans and, and other things. I don't do them clinically. Right. But you, in the sim center, you can do those things. Yeah, we have, we have a simulator. And then because I help direct, again, so point of care ultrasound across the university on, this, on the educational level. So we're housed under simulation and we're the shared resource. So if the nurse midwives want to come do training, then, you know, Chrissy, our educational stenographer is the best. Yeah. But I might have to help pitch in so I learn just enough. And then, hey, Chrissy, I have questions. So, again, just trying to keep yourself pluripotent yeah. and, and doing things that you never thought you would do has been incredibly invigorating for, for me with all of this. One of the things that I noticed today when, when we were walking around and you were showing me all the incredible resources that are available here is that you are putting multiple disciplines in the training center mm-hmm. at the same time. Whether you're a physician, whether you're a nurse practitioner, whatever your role is, it's everybody in that big mixing pot to learn it together and to develop the skill set together and to get better together. 
I imagine that was an intentional decision to say it's one curriculum, everybody in the pool. Yeah. So, I mean, this Sim Center has been, and of course, somebody from OHSU is going to know the exact timeline and be like, oh, she's off by a year. But I feel like we've We're been okay. here in yeah. this building yeah. for around five to six years. Okay. And it's been wonderful because it puts together. They can email together. me if we're wrong. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Market ETA, ExploreTheSpaceShow.com. That's right. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> several years, and it has been really, really just wonderful to be able to, you know, you're walking by and you're like, oh, hey, there's the nursing students. And and we, again, right now, I mentioned this earlier, the, the clinical ultrasound elective we're currently running is our first one ever that's actually mixing MD students and the doctor of nursing practice students. So smart. So these are practicing um, nurse practitioners working on their PhD or the doctor, the DMP, the doctor of nursing practice. So we're mixing them together. And I have to tell you, watching them scan at the bedside is so fascinating. And I, I make them mix groups because the nurses are so much more careful with the patients and let's regown you and let's, oh, would you like an adjust? Let's do the pillow. Let's, and it's so good for my MD students to see it. It's wow. really wonderful. Yeah. And then the MD students have some other skills. And so that whole, you know, interprofessional from with about, this is one that we do is the nurses, it's their reading elective. And for the MD students, it's for elective credit. Um, but just, it's really wonderful to, to see them all playing together. And so we have a really supportive, um, you know, school of medicine, school of nursing. Sim is kind of centrally housed. Um, we're under the office of the, of the provost and they've all been so, just so incredibly helpful and, and inspirational and supportive of us saying, this is big, this is important. And we want to make this, we want to make this better and bigger and touch more students. That's a really intelligent approach. I love that. Yeah. And I, I do, I just want to say, so, you know, you said I'm an expert, which of course a little bit of imposter syndrome kind of sneaks in there, but there's so many other, we're, we're working so, we are working so hard to expand and grow, but there are these other schools and institutions that are light years ahead of us as well. There's incredible sites, University of California, Irvine Mm -hmm. and Wayne State and University of South Carolina. And now I'll probably offend somebody by not listing them. I'm not saying you're the only expert, but I would say (laughs) over the course of my career as a physician, being a human being who's interested in other human beings and now episode 155, I'm very comfortable saying you are an expert at this. I'll ask you and invite you to take that on board. It's not to say that other people are not, but your level of expertise in this is way, way up at the apex, which is why we ask you to come and help us to better understand this because it is going to affect all of us. And when I say all of us, it's not just me as an attending hospitalist. It's going to be people who come to the hospital, come to the office. The next three, five, eight, ten-year window of this, right, this is the immediate part of our career. Just like with the all of the technology that Apple puts out and all of these other companies put out around monitoring your heart rate, people are going to start asking for this. Right? It's super cool. It's super sexy. They're going to want to know. They can buy their own. They can. Right? If they want. Well, I think you maybe have. You, there's ways you can probably figure it out. There's, I can't imagine that a company MD, that is. But. Yeah. <laughs> these are these are for profit companies. If there's a unit to sell, they're going to sell it. Yeah. There was a great story though too about the, the the applications of point of care ultrasound. There's a an ED doc that you and I both follow on Twitter, Rick Pescator. And I hopefully said his last name right. It might be Pescatore. We've never met face-to-face, and he'll DM me and castigate me, and I apologize in advance. But he shared this great story about when he got his ultrasound probe, and they were getting ready for a family road trip, and he asked if any of the kids need to go to the bathroom. They all said, no, Dad, we're fine. And he ultrasounded their bladders and showed them how much they needed to actually go pee. And they all said, all right, Dad, we'll go pee. That's just smart. That's just good business. 
I love it. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of, we all have ultrasounded our families yeah. a lot. And what did they say? Did they like it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, That's my heart? Oh, my gosh. Uh, my husband's a little more like, you know, go, go, go back to work. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I work too much. That's never been something he said is gotcha, go back to work. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's an, so you bring up an interesting point about this. You mentioned that you've perceived that you work too much. And one of the fun things about doing these interviews in person is I get an, a much different assessment of the person that I'm speaking with because we can see each other and I can see body language. Sure. And we've also spent the last two hours together. We went to the your bonkers workout this morning and ran me into the ground. Love my gym. That's right. But I can see your body language change as we walk in and as we open the sim labs. Clearly, this gives you a jolt of energy doing this. And I'm curious to know your perspective on how we balance or how... Is this a driver of success when you say, I work a lot? There's a lot of people who would say, I work a lot. And that's okay. But for some people, it can be a real problem. And we know that too. What is that sense of energy, aspiration, motivation? What does that do in terms of driving your sense of well-being, your sense of mental health, your sense of mission and purpose? Yeah, it's a it's an incredible question. Um, most annual reviews, I go in and, and my my boss would say, uh, Renee, you're at real high risk for burnout. <laughs> Just because really? there's so much stuff going on. Because there's so on. many things that they look yeah. at. Interesting. Um, and there was, a awesome, there was a tweet this morning, I don't remember who it was from, but she was talking about her boss that said, are you sure you want to do this? And it was about creating graphics for the curbsiders. Okay. Um, I, and I was going to retweet and say, my boss says the same thing to me. But I do feel like doing something that you are truly passionate about that is your calling you feel is your calling is protective for burnout. And I can say that because I've been burned out and I've, I've shared this. I've lost colleagues to, to suicide and it's, it's crushing. And I, I want to be more open and share with people because no one should feel alone in this. And I've, I've experienced burnout. I've experienced periods of depression. Anxiety is something that I know I'm really out of control when I wake up with nightmares that I didn't show up for a shift or, and I've never missed a shift in my life. Uh, you know, I didn't do something. And so, um, I want to be open and authentic ab- about that because I, I hate it when people say, well, life is perfect and I would never be burned out and I'm just doing what I love. And so that's not, that's not real life. So all those other things are there and they're always there and, and you, work with things like the gym and my physical, uh, physical fitness, sleep, etc., to try to deal with it. And then I do truly believe now that I've laid that ground about being authentic, that, that doing something that you love and are passionate about is protective for burnout. So I might go to three weeks straight of conferences and I'm running or helping co-direct a week and a half of them. And I'm tired as I'll get out and it's hard and I'm having to create agendas for task forces and other things, but I'm doing the work that I think will make medicine a better place. Yeah. And yeah. and that's what like gets me up in the morning. When you have access to all of these clinicians in training, medical students, yeah. residents, fellows, is that part of your curriculum that look, this might not be your mission, but for me it's really important. It's sustaining. Yes, I work hard. We're all going to work hard in this profession. That's just part of the commitment that we make. Find what is mission-driven for you. It doesn't have to be focus. It can be whatever you want, for but sure. find it. Yeah, and that was a big part of the the mentorship piece that mm-hmm. we, um, I was luck, fortunate enough to to have um, a, a role in that um, helping people ex- 
being explicit about your failures and that we all fail. Yeah. And that's just part of life yeah. and how you overcame your imposter syndrome and how you found your passion. Those are the things that to me make someone a good mentor, not just saying this is what your career needs because we're all robots. You know, that's right, not, right, right. It's not Did you expect that when you began to engage with ultrasound as a project, as something that would be a, a big piece of your career, did you expect that it was also going to have these almost kind of, I don't want to say curative properties, that's, a, that's an overstatement, but these really powerful, supplemental, helpful, adjunctive properties? No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Interesting. Because I actually, I told you about my early days in simulation. Yeah, so back yeah. at Mass General, I fell in love with the sim curriculum. Yeah. So when I came back, simulation was actually my biggest passion. Uh-huh. But I was being a little bit calculating and... Um, the, the provost at the time, who was a huge mentor and sponsor, was really passionate about simulation and ultrasound. Okay. So I was very interested in ultrasound, but it wasn't what I thought my end-all, be-all career would be. Interesting. But once I started doing it and I had those light bulb moments, the genie was out of the bottle. There was no putting it back in. It was, this is a thing that this will make, it. if I have any lasting impact like on this earth. If. Thanks. Do me a favor. <laughs> it'll be it'll be via this okay. via um, putting people together. Yeah. One of my goals in life is to be a super connector, and and help put you're nice. here, you're here, you're interested. Uh-huh. Let's get you together. And Love and it. I don't know everything. I'm terrible at a lot of things, but I can put you together with someone who's good at it. Daniel Kraft is going to hear this podcast, and he's yeah. just going to rip up in applause. He's going to be so. Oh, well, excited. that's perfect because yeah. I finished that podcast on my drive yeah. to the gym this morning, <laughs> totally. right before we went for yeah. sprints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> He's going to love that. And then, yeah. and that is, I mean, for me, I would say too, it's not so much about knowing what the mission is going to be. Just know that you have to go and look for it and you have to yeah. explore new territories. You have to reach out, take some chances, step into the tension because chances. what will happen is this thing will work or it won't. Mm-hmm. And in the not working, that's okay too. You learn I am that. terrible at dealing with failure. Still, it's going to be a constant pressure for me and that's okay. But it's that just that grind, right? Just keep lifting weights, which you're very good at. You set a personal record a couple of days ago. Yes, I did. Very excited. You get to say out loud what your personal record yeah. was because it's awesome. My, my back squat was 275 pounds. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. <laughs> and my favorite part about the video is that that's my big brother. Um, yeah, spotting me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The video is on Twitter. Mark actually met him this morning. We were walking back, uh, so you sprint down the street. Yes, you do. And then you walk back <laughs> on the sidewalk, god. and his engineering business is next door. So he pops out, and I'm like, "Hey, this is my friend Mark from." From the hospital. And I was wheezing and gasping and <laughs> coughing, and I think I forgot to shake his hand. Yeah, and yeah. that's cool. Uh, this was amazing. It was incredible to tour, your, to, to tour your lab. I had a sense of what it would look like just from having met you and spoken with you, and I was totally wrong. It's an incredibly impressive setup, um, and I think that speaks volumes for a major West Coast training center to say, we are going to invest this much physical plant, this this high caliber of clinical faculty, and and a huge team to support operations. This is going to this whole idea of point of care ultrasound. Like you said, this is it's not just that it's not going away. It's going to be a huge part of the future yeah, of our practice. Yeah, that's been our goal is to, um, you know, you live out here on the West Coast as well. And we constantly have to fly places. I'm flying back to the East Coast all the time. And so, you know, Oregon has a ton of rural. We have so many rural clinicians. I've gone down and done courses for them. But we're really trying to just build it up. So that, you know, us West Coasters, we, we come out here. Yeah. Everybody come up to Portland is cool. Whenever they come out, whenever people come to the West Coast, right? They, we have all our conferences out here and stuff like that. Everyone, they all love it. 
Yeah, so. hashtag West Coast, Best Coast. West Coast, Just Best kidding. Coast, you I love it. You can erase that if you want, but. <laughs> Absolutely not. That was great because yeah. I believe it too. How do people find you? How do they learn more about the center? How do they learn yeah. more just about the broad strokes of what ultrasound looks like? You're on Twitter, and yes. that's a great starting point. What's your Twitter handle? So on, on Twitter, I'm at Dr. Sonos RD, a palindrome. That's right. But it's D-R, <laughs> D-R S-O-N-O-S yes, sorry, yes. R-D. D-R, S-O-N-O-S, R-D. And then OHSU actually has a great simulation account. It's at OHSU Simulation. And then, of course, there's OHSU News and all that fun stuff. Right, right, right. Um, for our work, um, the General Medicine Ultrasound Fellowship is housed in the Division of General Internal Medicine. So there's a website there. Is there anything on YouTube about this? I actually had not seen this before. Um, I mean, there's... Or do you have any YouTube stuff I don't, out? I don't have any YouTube. Okay. A lot of my stuff just gets really poured into these big national that's right. collaborative things. Which are free to anybody. Yeah. yeah. So that's been my, my big... Big okay. project is helping. helping YouTube with is calling. That. I think YouTube is calling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. That's awesome. This was so amazing. Much good stuff. <laughs> Too much to do. Too much to do, but when it's mission driven, it doesn't always feel that way. True. The trajectory of this is really exciting. Uh, I was inspired and excited before I got to look at this opportunity. I realized more so than ever that it's an opportunity for me to get better. I don't know how to do this yet. Come back. I really, really want to learn how to do this. I really want to take an ultrasound probe into patient rooms. And just like you say, right, have a skill bundle around how to describe it, understand how to document it properly, know that I'm still going to use my colleagues, but just to fold in that lever of connectivity and communication and shared understanding. That is just incredibly exciting. It is. I agree. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Renee, this was totally awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a total treat. Thanks for having me. It's been really awesome to do this um, in person and have this great visit. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.